0: Morning everyone, good morning. what a great day to be alive yes. Amen. and in God's house, uh, scripture says better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere, uh, no place I would rather be <laughs> than fellowshipping with the saints, is always a good time, Amen. we are in uh, week three of the Reflect series, as we have uh, gone through since Easter. Easter was awesome, to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Uh, But we're looking at Proverbs chapter 27 for our text uh, for this sermon series. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Beginning verse Says, as iron sharpens the iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Whosoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit. So he who, who waits on his master will be honored. As in water reflect, as in water face reflects face. So a man's heart reveals the man. Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for this day, God. We're just grateful for your word. Lord, we just pray for application today, Lord, that we could hear and understand something, God, to apply to our life, Lord, that we can live and be the people that you have called us to be as Bethesda. And Lord, that you would help every individual here to be able to hear what your word is saying to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, amen. 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 So the sermon series Reflect is about a, a topic and the word reflect means to think deeply or carefully about. And some of you have a faraway look in your eye this morning, so I don't know if you're just pondering a lot or reflecting a lot right now or what you're doing, but uh, just uh, gather your thoughts for a moment and let's reflect on reflect so that we can reflect about reflecting about reflecting and keep going down that direction and which we'll get to where we're reflecting. So to means to think deeply or carefully about, to ponder, to think about one of the words that my grandfather would always say was ponder. It's a word that he used often to ponder. And he would do some deep thinking because he just sat there and look and he would be thinking all the time. Uh, I love this that uh, King Solomon is is reaching to us here, uh, even uh, generations and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later after he wrote this down that this word can still apply to us. And as I think about uh, where we have went with this series so far that we began in Easter about a whole new outlook and how that Jesus Christ coming, living a perfect sinless life, uh, offering himself on a cross of Calvary for our salvation and giving us the ability to be saved. And uh, he conquered death, hell and the grave and was able to come out victorious over that and give us the ability to be saved. Thank God for salvation. Uh, the whole new outlook by Jesus Christ doing that. Last week we talked about the mirror and how that the mirror, and we broke the mirror, symbolic in that we're not afraid of superstition or superstition as some people would call it. I always call it stupidstition. Uh, those type of fables and wise fables that there's scriptures that tell us uh, not to worry about those or be conditioned in our life by those, but we apply the word of God to our life and how that, as Solomon writes here, that face is reflected in water. He was uh, looking at an appearance, an image of himself, but we are truly who we are in Christ, amen? And today we're gonna look at a a portion of this scripture and it's leading us for past, present, and future. That's what I want us to think about as a church, as a congregation today, that the past, present, and future uh, version of reflect. And it's the last verse that we read here today Uh, verse 20 it says hell and destruction are never full so the eyes of man are never satisfied and as we look at that scripture hell the word hell written here is telling us that there is a place of destruction that there's a place called hell and i believe as a pastor that we need to speak about this in today's terms in the world we're living in the current state of the world uh, some people, there's pastors that's been coming out for the past several years. Some say and are preaching that there is no hell. Uh, how sad is that, that we have a Bible that tells us there is a hell, and now because we don't like the feeling of it, we're going to do away with it, but we can't change God's word. Well, there's a couple of people believe that. I said, we can't change God's word. Amen. His word is forever settled in heaven. It is truth. It's the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. It is the answer to our problems in life. So as I talk about that, that hell is there, that hell is a reality. Uh, this past few weeks, there's been uh, one of our old retirees come in work, and he looked and he said, where is hell? Where is hell? He wants me to give him the an answer of Where is hell? And as I begin to ponder about that and think about hell and what scripture teaches about hell, can I put my finger on the exact spot of where that's at? Is it in the center of the earth? And ensure that there's scriptures that tell us that uh, hell is the center of the earth. And does that mean that they're down there in the molten lava that they, where the lava spews out of the ground, out of the uh, volcanoes and becomes, I, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. Amen. Amen? But scripture teaches that hell is real. So just because we can't put our finger on exactly where that is, doesn't scare me to say that I don't believe that there's a literal hell, a place of torment. And it's sad. Do I want anybody to go to hell? No. Have I told some people to go there in my old life? Yes. Apparently nobody else in the room has. <laughs> Hell is a reality. Uh, Is it a literal place? I believe so. Do I understand everything about Scripture? No. Paul said, I speak to you in mysteries. He said, there's some mysteries that even Paul, the apostle that wrote two-thirds of the books of the New Testament, didn't understand himself. If he said he had mysteries and he had things that he couldn't figure out, I think there's some people in this room that's got some pretty simple minds compared to the Apostle Paul. And if he had a hard time figuring it out, you're going to have a hard time figuring it out. Amen. But it doesn't mean that you can do go contrary to Scripture and say there is no hell. So in answer to this old guy, I began to talk about what I felt about hell, what I thought about hell. And I, I, first off, I said, well, it has to be a place because Jesus went there. And he said, what? Hell is a, real, a reality, a real place. I said Jesus went there and he said, "Really? What, where do you get that from?" I said, "Well, he took sin upon his shoulders. He that knew no sin became sin, right? According to Scripture. And as Jesus took that sin upon his cr- on the cross and took our burden with him, he was put in the grave in our place. Yes. Where does sin send you? <clears throat> to hell." So he that knew no sin becomes sin. So as becoming sin, Jesus had a sinless life. He didn't sin while he was there on this earth and he's living and breathing. But after the cross of Calvary, he took our sin on his shoulders and died our death so we don't have to. So where does sin send you? It sends you to hell. We all know that, right? So it, in scripture, if you go back and study at the end of the gospels, you'll see where the Jesus is hanging on a cross and there's two other individuals, one on the right and one on the left and one looks over and he's making fun and, and kind of poking fun at Jesus and, and, and looking at that down upon him. The other one on the other side looks over and he says, you fool, why do you speak about him that way? This is a guy that did no wrong and they are crucifying him and he did nothing wrong to deserve this. And Jesus looks over that individual and tells him about that today you'll see me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So this older individual that I'm talking to, he says, well, no, Jesus went to paradise and paradise is heaven. Really? So Jesus dies on a cross and goes straight to heaven. No. Then it says in Ephesians that that Jesus must first descend before he ascends. And we know that it's 40 days later, 50 days later at Pentecost whenever he ascends and goes into heaven, it's 40 days later that he ascends into heaven. So Jesus, when he died on the cross of Calvary, his spirit went into hell, into Sheol, into the place of torment in our stead. But your neighbor say, Jesus went to hell so you don't have to. (coughs) Amen. How awesome is that? That a, a perfect sacrifice without blemish took our place and become sin so that we don't have to sin. Amen. So Jesus goes into hell and as he goes there, Jesus tells the story one time that they're trying to figure out some things and Jesus tells the story about the, the place of hell and he tells it in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. We remember that story, right, in the gospel that Lazarus, the rich man, so Jesus is telling this story, and he tells them that Lazarus dies, he's a man with sores, he lays at the gate, and he's, he's having a hard time, but he lays there, and, and whenever he dies, he goes into Abraham's bosom. He, he was a, a righteous man. So if you was righteous prior to Jesus Christ dying on the cross, you went to the place of called Abraham's bosom, which is a place called paradise. It's the place for the righteous dead. But then he says there's a great gulf betwixt these two places. The other side of hell is a place of torment, a place of, of, of eternal damnation, away from God. And the rich man goes there. So the rich man looks over, and he says, I want to go where Lazarus is. And he, he says, won't you send Lazarus back to back to the, my brothers to tell them about this place and tell them not to come here? So Jesus is explaining that hell... <coughs> Prior to Jesus Christ dying on the cross was a place that the righteous dead exist and that also the eternal damned exist. But there's a gulf between the two of them. Right? So as Jesus is explaining this to them, the, the disciples and everybody around him, the first he says, they have a hard time understanding this because they don't know about eternal things. They don't understand the spiritual world. Jesus is the answer to our problems. Amen. He's the answer to our troubles. So Jesus is trying to explain this of something they don't understand, and we're still the same today. Some things we don't understand. Jesus gives us answers to them, but until we study to show ourselves to prove unto God, and workmen need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, we won't know where we're going. So Jesus is telling us here today about hell and destruction. And I believe he wants me to tell you as your pastor today that hell is a reality. But that also that heaven is a reality. So once Jesus goes into this place, preaches to those that are captive, it says in Ephesians that he led captivity captive. He took them out of that righteous dead place. I'm talking about Moses, about Samuel, about King David, about everybody that lived the righteous life prior to Jesus Christ was in this place of Abraham's bosom. Jesus goes and preaches to them, takes them captive, brings them out, and it says in, in the gospel that, that as Jesus walks around and he is raised from the dead, that also many others was raised from the dead, and they went into Jerusalem and talked and witnessed to people. The resurrection of the dead. So, today, as we see this, that, that hell is here, it's a reality. It's something that, that they were speaking about hundreds of years that King Solomon is writing this down in Proverbs. It says that hell and destruction are never full. So, if you look back in the Old Testament, there's another verse, I've pinned it down here in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 14. It says, therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and all their glory and all their multitude and all their pomp and their that rejoices shall descend into it. So Isaiah the prophet is saying that hell is going to enlarge itself. And here hundreds of years before Isaiah, King Solomon is writing this down and says hell and destruction are never full. Have you ever had a birthday party at your house? Maybe for your kids, your grandkids or something. And you invited too many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get too many people there. And, and some of you might live in a 1,000 square foot house. Some of you might live in a 1,500 square foot house. Might be people here living in a, a 3,500 square foot house. I don't know. But no matter how big your house is, it can always be full. Yes. I, I've, I've been in mansions before and, and went to events and things and, and some, I call a mansion anything, you know, 3,700 square foot, that's a mansion to me. I, come from Lewis County, you know, most houses not that way, and as you go in there, and it gets so crowded that it's full, that you can't get around, you can't get to the counter, you can't get anywhere to do anything, because it's full. But here, Solomon is saying that hell and destruction are never full. (coughs) Imagine that. That it's so big, that it's so vast. And then Isaiah hundreds of years later says that it, it is going to enlarge itself. It's already got the ability to never be fooled, but now it's expanding its territory. Scary stuff. Yes, it is. Billions of people have lived on this planet. And it's Isaiah that tells us the type of people that goes there. Mm-hmm. Jesus explains to us That if we continue in our sin, if we're unrepentant, if we're not born again, as he tells his friend, his colleague, the Pharisee, if you're not born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. We must be born again if we don't want hell to be our eternal damnation, our eternal place of torment, we have to accept Jesus Christ and his blood to cover our sins. But after the cross, everything changed. Sure, hell enlarged itself because now all those people, the righteous dead, used to be in paradise. Jesus took them captive, took them to heaven with him. Because now it says in the New Testament to be absent in body is to be present with the Lord. So when we take our last breath here, it frees us up if we're saved and believe in Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life, that we're able to go directly, in, in an instant, to go to be with Jesus in heaven forever. I think I just have to say that in today's culture, in the present state of where the church is, I watched a you uh, what on YouTube? It was was it Netflix last night? There's a new show popped up on my screen called The Pearson. He's a preacher. I listened to him a lot back in the days. Uh, had a great church out in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, diverse church. There was blacks, whites, ever, uh, all kinds of ethnic groups. Everybody was there. Great preacher. Preached truth. And it shows in this movie that. And I remember him coming on TVN and talking about these things when he when he got this paradigm shift that he something happened to Carlton Pearson. The Bible says that we, even the very elect can be deceived. If the very elect can be deceived, we've got to be careful. And Carlton Pearson is now preaching that nobody has to be saved, that everybody gets to go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for everybody. And do I believe some of that? Yeah. Did Jesus die for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Does that mean everybody's going to believe and everybody's going to accept and everybody's going to confess and everybody's going to repent and everybody's going to live a good godly moral life to the best of their ability? No. So parts of what he's saying is truth and sometimes the half truth is not the whole truth. So he's preaching this gospel now that hell is not even a reality. That God didn't even, he created hell for uh, the devil and all his angels that it ain't even for humans. And I can't preach that type of message but in today's world, the, the, in the last times, perilous times will come. It says the love of many a works cold. It's, there's all kinds of things. And, and sometimes because of, of something happening in our life, we can't, we can't go on and try to make up something different because of an experience that we've had. We've got to go back to this scripture. If it ain't in the Bible, if it's not in the word of God, we can't believe it to be truth, church. So what I want to believe about heaven, I believe that heaven is reality. Jesus said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14, it's a lovely scripture. It's one that's read at funerals. It's it's an awesome text. Jesus said, I'm going to build mansions. How awesome is that? And then you go into Revelation, it says that there's trees there, the lions lay down with the lamb, and it just gives all these pictorial things of, of saying that streets are of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, and it gives us all these pictures of what heaven's going to be like. Can I point to where heaven is today? I have no idea. All I know is Jesus is, whenever he came come out of the grave, victorious over death, out of the grave, walked and talked to his disciples for 40 days, and on the 40th day, he stand there talking to them, and next thing you know, he's lifted up, and the cloud takes him away. So it's somewhere going up. It might be outer space. It might be on Mars. I don't know. i tell you one thing. This ain't it. Can somebody say amen? This is not heaven. I have some good times here, but this is not it. Should we want heaven on earth? Absolutely. Should we desire, God, send your spirit, send your power, send your anointing to let us live a peaceful life? Absolutely. But this is not heaven. And this is not hell. As in some people preach. There's pastors out there preaching and one of them a few years ago wrote a book and talked about it. he's up in Chicago, had a mega church. Thousands of members wrote a book about how that this is hell. It's not hell. Does it feel like it sometimes? Yeah, but that's not it. This is not eternal damnation away from God. I'm talking about a real place. Hell and destruction are never full. Let's reflect on that for a moment. But then I love what goes on to the last part of the verse. This is what we got to get to to be past, present, and future. That took me longer than I wanted. I'm 12:19. I got 11 minutes to get the rest of it done. Verse 20. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. <coughs> So the eyes of man are never satisfied. So as we read this, and Solomon is writing this down, Solomon is one of the wisest men to ever live on the planet. He is the wisest man, other than Jesus Christ, I believe, to ever live on the planet, because Scripture says so. So Solomon's writing this down. He's penning these words. He's he's giving us wisdom so that we can read this Bible, hear these words, and listen to it, and apply it to our heart to see that God can change some things. But he says, the eyes of man are never satisfied. This is coming from a guy that's got 300 wives and 600 concubines. I think he knows what he's talking about. Whenever he says his eyes are never full, his eyes are never satisfied. It's always got to be something new. It's always got to be... So here it is, Solomon's telling him that a man's heart reveals, you know, that, that the eyes of man are never full. Never satisfied. But neighbor never says is he talking about you? <laughs> Donna's looking at Greg and she said, Greg, you order too much from me, <laughs> And Greg's looking at Donna and saying, you go too many crashing events. <laughs> uh, we just go around the room, you know, every, everybody in here's got their own little things they enjoy. Right, we got things we enjoy, there's nothing wrong with enjoying some things, kayaking. Yesterday Cindy went kayaking by herself. She didn't even know anybody. usually kayakers try to go together. She's like, I'll just go on. Some- huh? Did in didn't invite anybody. And went by herself, awesome. Just go by yourself, go have a good old time eyes of man are never satisfied, they're never full. But the past, present, and future, as we look at this, as Solomon is telling us that the eyes of man are never satisfied, that, that are, we're never content. The Bible says contentment with godliness is great gain. If we will be content in whatever state we're in, we will be a lot better off. Amen? If we will just decide, man, I am blessed by God. I've got a house to go to. I've got a car to drive. I can go. i got some money in the bank. I go put gas in my car, go wherever I want. I go to eat. I can do whatever I want. I'm blessed. Amen? Amen? If we would get content, I believe we would be better off. But as I look at this in in the eyes of this Reflect series, that we got to go past, present, and future. And then I wrote down the struggle is real. <laughs> Amen. The struggle is real. I don't know about you, but there's a struggle in my life from time to time that I'll get engulfed in these things where that I desire things, that I look forward to things, that I worry about things in my past, that I can't live content because everything else is going on. My, my focus is not where it should be. Past, present, future. Picture is worth a thousand words. So there's your picture for today, past and your future. You're standing right there in the middle of it being perplexed by both, being dragged. Is that a word? Is that the way I can say that? Being dragged into both or being drugged into both? I don't know. English majors, anybody? Drugged it. Drugged it. That sounds even better. That's straight up. Lewis County, there. Everybody understands that? Now everybody knows what I'm saying. Thanks, Cubby. Uh, Drugged it into our past and our future. But it's in this place of the struggle. You see, we struggle with our past because a lot of us have done a lot of things wrong. Amen And we have a lot of struggle because we all have goals and ambitions and things looking forward to in life. I listen to Leslie talk we will go over to Kelsey I think about uh, what her is going to be and how she's got to go through her masters and sometimes we're so troubled and perplexed because we're looking toward the future too. So sometimes it's not just our past that haunts us, it's our future. Amen. Amen? So here, Solomon is saying, Amen, eyes of man are never satisfied. And that's the struggle. That if we could ever get content, if we could ever outlive our past, if we could ever just get beyond that. But I want to go back to verse 1 of this. There's all kinds of things I can talk about past. I preach often about how you need to let your past go to get to the future that you want to desire, that God wants for you. I believe God's got a plan for you. Amen? I believe God's got a plan for every individual in this room. That he's got, it's it's what Jeremiah 29, 11, that everybody speaks of, that's the number one quoted scriptures, I believe, in modern day church. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for you, to give you health, to give you an expected end. God knows your end from your beginning. He prophesied to Jeremiah and said, I knew you before you was in your mother's womb. That's a long time ago. So as God is speaking to Jeremiah, he's telling him, your past, so let's let's just let the past go. Everybody in this room just say, I'm gonna let my past go. I, I'm, that's gonna be gone with that. I, not that I ain't gonna reflect, not that I'm not gonna look back, not that I'm not gonna remember, because in in Old Testament and Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 27, it's where God tells Moses to tell the children of Israel to wake up every morning and instruct your kids and tell them about the good things God has done. Tell them how you brought out of bondage. Tell them how I brought you out of Egypt. Tell them everything that I've done and teach them in the morning. Then when you sit down at lunch in that afternoon, then pick them up and get a Bible story and talk to them about the good things of God. And then when you come home at night and you're having supper there around the table to get your kids together and talk about the good things of God. And I'm telling you parents today, if you can remember, you can reflect, you can talk about, and you can even explain to them to tell them, hey, I've done some bad things in my life and I'm trying to coach you and be a person, an example for you today. I'm not going to say that I was perfect, but guess what? God is perfecting me every day. His grace, His mercy is new every morning. And if you will begin to apply the Word of God to your kids' life through your past experiences, they won't have to live the pain you did. So it's not a bad thing to reflect sometimes. But don't dwell there. Don't live there. But this first one, I love it. This is Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived on the planet, according to the Bible, says this. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Don't boast about tomorrow. So then Jesus comes along and Jesus begins to teach about this very same subject as Jesus is looking at these things and he's talking. The Sermon on the Mount's one of the best sermons that's ever been written or ever been depicted or or given on this planet. Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 as he's preaching the gospel on a mountaintop and thousands of people are listening to this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching kindly along this same line. Don't boast about tomorrow. Look at your name and say, quit boasting. Quit boasting. Your future, you're perplexed. You're troubled because of tomorrow. Yes. You're troubled because of your dreams. You're troubled because of your ambitions. You're troubled because of what you're going to do tomorrow. What about today? Yeah. The struggle is real today. Amen? And you can't change tomorrow. You can't change yesterday. The only place you can have any change in your life is today, is now. Solomon saying... Don't boast about tomorrow. Let's go to that, Matthew chapter 6. Let's flip over there. We'll read there real quick. And man, i got three minutes to get that done. It's going to be awesome. I love this scripture though. Matthew chapter 6. Don't boast about tomorrow. Here's, here's why Jesus is going to word it for us, so that he can break it down where we can understand it. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. For what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food or the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither reap nor do they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? There you go. You're never tall enough. It's kind of like the eyes of man are never satisfied. Some people are six foot, they wish they was six foot four. Some people's five foot two, and they wish they was five foot nine. Amen? Some women are 150 and wish they weighed 120. Some women are 120 and wish they weighed 100. We're never satisfied with where we're at. We're never content. Yeah. We never just stand there and say, you know what? I'm blessed. Would I love to be taller than six foot? Yeah, because I was trying to grab the rim there the other day, and I couldn't. It's a ten-foot rim, and I'll try my best. I had work boots on, I know, but I couldn't get there. I could touch the net. I was doing pretty good. But if I was about four or six four, I might be able to get to the rim. I was thinking, but I can't have anything by stature. Jesus is telling us we can't. Why worry about what you cannot change? That's what he's really saying. Why worry about what you cannot change? And guess what? You cannot change your past. And you cannot change your future. You can only change your current condition right now. I can't predict what tomorrow's going to hold. Right? Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Some people do. Some people gotta have Gucci. Somebody's bragging every day about paying $70 for a polo shirt. Why worry about that, John? Does it matter at the end of the day? I've told the story before how I traded off my $300 cowboy boots for a $100 pair of tennis shoes and got burnt. And... Sad for mom and dad, right? Verse 29. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was never arrayed like one of these talking about these little birds that God has taken care of. The one we read. We'll go in Proverbs now. If God so clothes the grass of the field today, in which tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will He not more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Is having two closets full of clothes not enough? Come on, somebody! I can't throw mine away. Leslie made me throw mine away. I had shirts I had when I was in grade school when me and Leslie got married. We didn't get married. Until I was twenty-seven thing said back here, I just watched that the (laughs) other day. Leslie wore my A team, or or whatever, A League in Little League, I would play in A League, the one when I hit the ball, she wore that shirt forever. It fit her. It wouldn't fit me no more. But I still had it, just in case I ever get back down there, Greg. I was hoping to get back down to the size I was in grade school, I guess. I don't know. Verse 31 Therefore do not worry, saying. Look at your neighbor and say, quit worrying. Amen, I believe this. We've got to let this worry. The Bible says that life is full of troubles. Man's life is full of troubles and sorrows. Amen. Amen. So what shall we drink or what shall we wear or after these things the Gentiles seek? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I love this verse, twenty thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If in the current state, in the present, in the moment right now, quit worrying about the past, quit worrying about the future. If we would worry about the present and be content where we're at and just seek God and his righteousness and his kingdom in our life, in his current state that we're in, all these things will be added to us. Sure. Come on, church. Amen. Why do we worry about what we can't change when we need to change what we can change? So here he's telling us, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness these things will be added to you. Verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love this verse too, because everybody quotes it all the time. They say, "Don't don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself." That's what everybody quotes all the time, right? You hear them quoted. I, I've heard that quoted a lot by Christians. But it goes on. There's usually more to the verse if we will truly study and seek God's face and try to hear what his total word is saying, not just the parts we like. The last part of that verse says, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Is there anybody in this room that would say, amen, Pastor Ben? I wake up in the morning and trouble has already been awake for a long time. It's already had its shower. It's already got its makeup on. Trouble is already ready when I open my eyes. Come on, somebody. Every morning I wake up, every day I come alive, that is trouble is there. If you don't believe me, trouble is always present. In my present state, trouble is always there haunting me, chasing me down. But the deal is, what do I seek? What do I look after? What do I chase down? What what am I asking for? So in my present state that I'm in right now, I have to decide this day whom I'm going to serve. Am I going to serve trouble? Or am I going to serve God? Yeah. Amen. There's enough trouble to go around. If you don't believe that you can find, you can't find trouble. You ain't looking hard enough because it's everywhere. Remember one time I was uh, back in my present way of living as Ben Carter. One time, 17 years old, went out with two of my friends one night, cruising down up down Chilcosic Street. You know, just living the dream. Yeah. <coughs> Look at Rachel back there. She's like, I did that. If you guys never cruised on, you don't even know. These kids don't know. It's illegal now. You know why? Because Pastor Ben done a burnout down the middle of Chilkotty Street and got tickets for it. We acted like idiots. And then I laughed at the cop when he came to get my ticket. I don't know why they would shut that down. We was up there one time, and there's a hooligan. I've with some hooligans, which I was one myself. boy I graduated with. in trouble. he served time to penitentiary and everything like now. But... We just going down through there, and next thing you know, he was worried about this girl, and, and there was other boys there that was worried about that girl. And next thing you know, here we're going to take on all of Portsmouth. <laughs> Three of us from Lewis County going we'll to take on all of Portsmouth. So he gets out and he argues, mouths back and forth. We'll, you just made us here, blah, blah, blah. And we take off up through to go up. Uh, and We pass alleys, and next thing you know, we get up through there. It's just a mess. Swing around, come back, and we end up in Goodwill parking lot. Let me tell you something, if you've got alcohol involved, teenage testosterone, and a bunch of egos, trouble is there to be found. So he's telling these boys and screaming out through the window, i got something in the car to take care of you. Always got the ball by it. There's car loads of people. You can only hit one or two, they're going to get you. So I'm telling him, let's go home. I'm 17 years old. I, I don't even have a, I'm not 18 yet. I'm, I'm past curfew. Let's just go home, man. Just hit across the bridge. Well, what we'll if I just battled another day? No, I'm going to fight. We're going to do it. <laughs> Here we are in a good little parking lot. He jumps out, gets the bat, standing there, daring any of them to come. Next thing no you know, cop shows up. Blue lights. i think how awesome is this? You talk about trouble. If you never come home to Man's you and tell him that why you got in trouble with blue lights, you don't know what trouble is. <laughs> Amen. You can find trouble if you look for it, it'll always be there. Of course, I lied about being 18. Didn't have a wall with me, luckily. And they let us go there's always trouble present and sure you can trick them, sure you can lie to them sure you can do everything manipulate all that but if the struggle is real I think and I believe it's because the struggle is we wake up every morning and we don't focus we need to focus church so when I wake up in the morning what am I going to set my eye on Jesus tells in in this sermon he tells us to seek right? Seek the kingdom of God first, he tells us here. He tells us to seek and we will find. He tells us to ask and we will receive. And he tells us to knock and the door will be opened. That's scripture. So if Jesus tells us we can ask, seek, or knock and receive what we ask, why in the world are we seeking trouble? There's always enough trouble for the day, he tells us right here. Every day has its own trouble already prepared. The enemy has laid snares before you. He's laid traps before you. He wants you to wake up in the morning 15 minutes late so that you're struggling to get out of the door on time so you can barely walk through the door and like my mom, go in six minutes after and swap your card and go into Kroger and still get paid the same. That's where he wants us to exist. Always behind, always struggling. It's real. God's got a better way what if we wake up 10 minutes earlier and have a scripture for the day that sets us up for success what if we have one of those so I want us to have that and we're going to go there and then we're done sorry I'm 7 minutes over but this is a good sermon no matter what Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 I had a lot more than that Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 if you don't have this scripture go back and listen to this sermon online And I want you, or us, as a church, to write this down and put it on our mirror so that when we get up every morning and brush our teeth, everybody say you need to brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. Brush your teeth every morning. I know I'm not a dentist, but I can still give you good advice on that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I love this because it's meditate on these things. That's what reflect is to meditate, right? So, Philippians chapter four, verse eight, I love this. Write this down, circle it in your Bible, highlight it, put a big star there, make sure that this gets on your mirror. And I believe that if we would reflect on these things every morning, it will change the dynamic of our lives in the present that we're living in every day. Listen to this. Paul's got all kinds of things to say he's saying this to Philippians. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Then verse 9. These, the things which you have learned and received and heard of and saw and me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Is that the desire of anybody in this room? I would like to have some peace and some sanity. That the struggle has been a reality in my life, but pastor, you're telling me peace is possible? Yeah, don't don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what trouble? I woke up too and I'm ready. Let's go chase down some trouble. Quit looking for trouble. You'll quit finding it. Begin to chase peace. Begin to chase these things that are true. Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are, are praiseworthy. What's there, do these Think on these things, Paul says. And you need to think about here, that as Paul is preaching this and writing this down for future generations of the church, he's sitting there with shackles on his arms. He's sitting in a prison cell in Rome because they are got in prison for something he didn't even do, but he's there in prison chains, and he's writing down these things. Whatsoever things are true, think on them things. If I was in prison today and I didn't deserve to be there, I wouldn't be thinking about pure things. I wouldn't be thinking about true things. I wouldn't be thinking about praiseworthy things. But Paul is trying to teach you, if you want peace in your life, you can have it in the midst of a jail cell. Amen. Then troubles don't matter. Amen? If we would just act and seek and knock the way God wants us to. Won't you stand? I'll quit. we got another two weeks to get this done. <coughs> Put that on your mirror. If you want peace, write this verse down on a piece of paper and put it on your mirror and stand there and brush your teeth and read this every morning and begin to do it. Because you can read words all day long and you can read study and self-help and every kind of book and do everything you know to do, but if you never apply anything, if you never act it out, if you never do it, it's never going to change. The only way you're ever going to have change in your life is to change right now. And I'm talking about the right now of where you exist the rest of your life. Every moment you're alive, you've got the ability to decide what do you want to do. The choice is yours. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says seek salvation while it may be found. Don't just bow your head and close your eyes. Everybody in this room, I just want you very simply to say that prayer that we pray every week. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? And allow His Spirit to speak into your life and He's telling you today. I believe He's, He's unanimously telling this to the whole body of Bethesda. Let troubles go. Let your past go. I'm not telling you not to plan for your future, not go forward to your future. He says that a wise man won't start on a house until he makes sure he's got enough plans and proof and enough substance to build that house. He's telling you, you can do those things. Make plans, but don't let it be a struggle. Don't let it be a trouble. And if the course alters just a little bit, don't get so tore up. Just let me God be the God of your life in the moment. God of peace will be with you. Father, I pray for every person in this room. God, I pray today as they make this decision, Lord, to follow after you, to chase after you. Lord, that this message today is explaining to them about their past, present, and their future. Lord, that the struggle is real. Lord, that it, that, that made a lot of people in this room right where they're at. And God, they've been perplexed on every side. They've been cast down. The enemy has destroyed their life. He lays traps in front of them every day they wake up. But God, I'm praying today that you will bring the peace that your Bible talks about. The peace that passes all understanding that you allow to become a reality of every life in this room. Let there be harmony in the homes. Let their kids be forever changed because of the actions of the parents and grandparents in this room aunts and the uncles the neighbors the friends let us be a church that promotes peace to all of mankind let us change our community because we're so much like you in Jesus name I pray everybody says Amen Amen.